0: All right, so in January of 2001, the Lorton Correctional Facility uh, closed its doors uh, after 90 years in service. It was just outside of the Washington, D.C. area, and it was, it was a prison that had a variety of purposes over those 90 years uh, for different, uh, different ages, different groups of people, and different uh, reasons for incarceration. But after 90 years, they decided that it was time to, to close the doors and uh, move... move uh, move people into other places. And so they closed up their doors and it just sat empty for a while until there was a plan to, to repurpose and reuse this facility. And so they had this proposal uh, for this uh, community center and this cultural arts center to move in. And they went through the process of, of renovating and changing and, and, and repurposing this space to, to create spots for artists, to create spaces for uh, different t- types of arts and, and activities to happen in this space. And so it really was uh, transformed, this place that had been a prison, a place that held people captive, a place with bars and graffiti and, and cold spaces became a space that was reused for, for aspiring artists and for the local community to enjoy. Uh, stages were set up for local theaters, and, and the prison yard became baseball fields and soccer fields. It was this incredible story of transformation. This place that once imprisoned now is a place of freedom. And so we're continuing on in our story through the book of Acts as we're looking at this early church. And we're going to, in the interest of time, skip over several several chapters, chapters 13, 14, and 15. And today we're going to be in in chapter 16, where Paul has been commissioned to go out and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He's, He's been traveling around He's been preaching the gospel, he's been planting churches, and this isn't going unnoticed. In chapter 14, we see this angry crowd stoning Paul and leaving him for dead, quite the hazard of the ministry. Thank you for not stoning me. In chapter 15, Paul and his ministry partner Barnabas, they have a disagreement. Remember, we, we continue to see on through Acts both the divinity and the humanity of what's going on in the church. That, that, that things are going well, but even in the midst of that, there is conflict that comes out. And so in chapter 15, Paul and, and Barnabas have this disagreement and they go in different directions and go on in their different ministries. And then Silas joins Paul in this missionary work. They've been traveling around, strengthening the churches that have been planted, encouraging the churches that have been planted. And then Timothy joins them And Timothy is this interesting character whose mother is Jewish and father is Greek. And so for this Gentile mission with Paul, we've got both of these dynamics together, both of these heritages together in Timothy as they go and continue to minister to the Gentiles. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today, starting in verse 5. We get this statement here from Luke. He, remember, he has these different statements of, of the health of the church, of how things are going. He says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Grew daily in numbers. So we continue to see the health and the life and the vibrancy of the church. And so picking up in this first episode in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not let them. So they passed by and they went on to Troas, so so getting past all the weird names of places, we have this scenario here where Paul and his companions, Timothy and Silas and others, they're trying to go in a certain direction. They have a certain plan. They're, They're wanting to do certain things. Paul has been on a roll. He's been planting churches, and the church is growing and is being strengthened, and it's here that it stops. The Spirit keeps him from going where he wants to go. He wants to go into Asia, but the Spirit prevents him from going in this direction. And so it's frustrating for Paul, and it's encouraging for me, because even my best laid plans don't always work out well. And Paul had the same problem. That Paul had this great vision, this this great plan to go into Asia with the gospel. Not a bad thing, right? But the plan just isn't working out. The path was not always clear for Paul. Now we've heard the saying that, that God never shuts a door without opening another. And that may or may not be true. Sometimes it is true. But what is certainly true is we don't know how long it takes for that next door to open. That one door can shut and we're stuck in a long hall, not sure where the next door is that's going to open. And for Paul, he gets into this same scenario where the door is shut on Asia, but he keeps going and keeps trying to head east. And for 300 miles, he keeps trying to go east and has the door closed on him. And he tries to go east and has the door closed on him, and, and he continues on this 300-mile journey. This isn't a simple setback. This isn't just a one-day kind of thing. And so how many nights did he go where he, he just thought that the, world, the, the thing was not working the way he wanted? He's, he's, he's going, what in the world is going on here? God, what do you want from me? I think I should be going to Asia, and, and there's all of these roadblocks. What do I do? And so sometimes the direction that we have happens through a process of elimination. We try to go through that door, oh, that one's locked. We try to go through that door, that one's locked. And we try to go through that door, and that one is locked. And where is it that the Spirit is directing? And so he goes west to Troas, not east. And then something interesting happens. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is west, even further west, continuing the opposite direction that Paul wants to be going. But now he has a vision to go west. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got up. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Guess that plan going east is not working. We're going to listen to God and go west. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Thamathras. Uh, and the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And so Paul gets to Philippi, and where does he go? Typical of Paul, he would look for a synagogue, but there is no synagogue apparently in town, so they go outside of the walls of the synagogue, and there they find a group of people praying, a place of prayer by the river. He's looking, as he does in all the cities that he's been in, for fellow Jews to share this gospel with, to share this message with. And he sees women there and joins the women and begins sharing the gospel. And Lydia is there. Lydia, who is this business owner, this dealer of fine purple, this woman of the fashion industry who is from Asia. And this is who Paul encounters. This woman from Asia who is doing incredible things with her business, independence. And she's there listening, this Gentile woman, listening to hear what is being said. She's in this place of prayer as well, and God opens up her heart. That opens her heart to respond to Paul's message. We continue to see this theme of the gospel being for all people. All people. In Acts chapter 7, the church is just in Jerusalem and then they're scattered out because of persecution. And then in Acts chapter 8, we have the gospel spreading to the Samaritans of all people. Then in Acts chapter 9, we have the enemy of the gospel. Enemy number one, Paul down on his knees in the middle of the road encountering jesus then we have in acts chapter 10 the gentile cornelius being converted now we have this gentile woman this first convert in philippi so the gospel continues on to stretch across every known barrier. The gospel transcends every culture barrier. The gospel is creating this new family, this new community. And she says in verse 15 if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. If you consider me to be an insider, if you consider me to be a part of the family, If you consider me to be a believer, then won't you come to my house and join me in my home? And so Paul and his entourage are now accepting the hospitality of a Gentile woman. Paul would later later say in Galatians, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we see this played out over and over and over through Acts. That Jew, Gentile, that label does not matter. Slave or free, that label does not matter. As we will see in our next scene, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And so she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Here is this demon-possessed slave woman who is professing the truth. She kept this up for days. And finally, I love the comedy in Luke. Finally, Paul becomes so annoyed with her that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Days of this go by, where this woman is just following them around, shouting out the truth about who they are. And Paul finally is fed up with this and commands in the name of Jesus for the Spirit to leave. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice, And so now we have these slave owners who are profiting off of this demon-possessed slave woman and they're upset that their source of income is now compromised. We see this interesting connection where we have profiting off of the gospel in this weird, tangled-up way. And how often do money concerns get in the way of doing what's right? How often do money concerns get in the way of, of freeing the captives, bringing release to those who are captive? When our owners um, are continuing, in verse. Twenty-two. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had, severe, had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks." Now imagine that you're Paul, you've been trying to go to Asia, and the Spirit says no, the Spirit says go to Macedonia, and here he is in Macedonia and is now beaten and imprisoned. Something has gone wrong with this plan. This was not the way that I thought I would be traveling. And so here, Paul is being obedient to the direction that the Spirit is leading him. He has continued to proclaim the gospel faithfully, and now he is rewarded handsomely for it, right? No. He finds himself in prison. Now we have a third scene, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And Paul shouted, no! Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all present and accounted for. We didn't leave. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so we have this jailer who is on duty, there is this earthquake which is very clearly a sign of the divine, a sign of God working. There is an earthquake, all the doors fly open, and this jailer is convinced that he is going to be dead because the prisoners have escaped. And he rushes in and realizes that the prisoners are very much present, and that God has very much moved to release them. And he falls on his knees and says, "What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be freed?" And they replied, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and he will and you will be saved, you and your household." Then he spoke, then, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all the household were baptized. There has just been this earthquake. Everything has broken apart. Doors have slammed open, and the jailer takes these captives to his house. He washes their wounds. And then the entire household is baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And so now, Paul and Silas are enjoying the hospitality of a Gentile jailer. Scene four. When it's daylight, all this has been happening at night. And when it's daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release them. Here they are enjoying a meal with the jailer, not in chains, not in the prison cell, and they have just received orders to be released. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released, Now you can go, go in peace. So now you're really released. God's really the one who did the releasing. But now we will release you. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come do it themselves. Let them come and escort us out. And so the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, like really, really alarmed. And so they came groveling to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting that they please leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them and so they once again enjoy the hospitality of Lydia this woman from Asia now in Philippi who's taking care of Peter or Paul and Silas so each of these scenes kind of build on one another And there's a few themes that we see through this, challenges for us. And the first thing that this story really reminds me of is that the setbacks that we have can be setups for our mission in the future. That the things that are setbacks now, the things that look like a closed door, the things that are a closed door, the things in our lives that are not going the way we planned that career that's not progressing the way you thought it was, that education that's not going the way you want it to, the the relationship that's not continuing the way you want it to continue, the setbacks that we have in our lives can be setups for something else in the future. That when things are not going the way you planned, there's still a mission ahead of us that can be even greater than what we anticipated before. Paul's trying to head east. For 300 miles, he's trying to go east. And God keeps shutting the door, and and it drives him to Troas and then to Philippi. And it's the Philippian church that ends up being the church that finances Paul's mission to Asia. It's this church in Philippi that becomes this major resource this major resource for Paul later on. Now, this really hits home for me um, for a variety of reasons, especially in this December time. We are reminded that on December 23rd is Hope's birthday. And so we have stories of setbacks, stories of challenges, stories of uncertainty, stories of of falling, and learning to crawl, and learning to walk. And it's not how we planned, and it's not how we anticipated, but I continue to believe that it is a mission and open doors that are available to us, or her, or somebody in the future. For us, we have been in this building project, this redevelopment campaign for for way too long. (laughs) Where we, we think we have a plan for what to do with this property and then we go down the path for that property or th- that plan and then the doors are shut and, and we wait in this long hallway wanting to know what's next and then other doors open and close and open and close. And so right now we're sitting with this offer, this purchase agreement to, to sell this building so that we can build a new building across the streets contingent upon approval from Santa Fe for PED to approve this project. And who wants to wait for Santa Fe for anything? (laughs) And so we get notification this last week that we have PED approval. And so this contingency on this deal one step further in the right direction of what we think is the right direction. But we continue to pray that God will open and close doors, that he will continue to lead us, that we will continue to have the patience to go the long haul, even when we're not clear on what the plan is. Another theme that we see through these stories is this idea of welcoming the stranger, this this idea of hospitality that homes are open and people are invited into homes. Lydia, the jailer, are both inviting people into their house. Now, there are two Christian activities that we involve ourselves in that often get tangled up and confused. There's this idea of fellowship. Fellowship is this experience of the community to, to care for one another, for, for life together among the believers, of, among the Christian community. Fellowship is important for us. But fellowship and hospitality are not the same thing. Hospitality is welcoming the stranger. Stranger. Hospitality is providing care and and support and and welcome to those who are not already a part of the community. It means welcoming people who are not like us. It's more than being friendly. It's more than shaking a hand. It's more than saying hi, but it's caring for the stranger. And sometimes those strangers become friends and those strangers become part of the family, but sometimes those strangers just, just stay strange. And we continue hospitality. We continue to care and support others. And so hospitality, and and even really fellowship, is becoming harder and harder for us to experience today. People are getting busier and busier. And we have Pinterest boards that tell us what the perfect meal should look like. And so we're afraid of perfectionism, so we don't open our homes to people. Because we're afraid of what is not perfect. And so can we open up our hearts and our homes so that others can benefit from our hospitality? And so then that gives me the next plug, we have our open house on Friday. (laughs) Some of you are strange. I won't name names but we would love for you to come to our house just for a holiday open house. And this is not hospitality. This is, this is fellowship. But, uh, and, but it is not perfect. It will not be perfect. And so we'd love to have you at our house Friday, come and go between 5.30 and 8. Uh, if you didn't get the email and you need the address, there's some of these sitting on the table out back. But just a time to be together in a different context. And so we'd love to see you in our home on Friday. And then finally, we have this, scene here where, where we experience setbacks or even suffering, like they're, they're beaten and thrown into prison, right? And so we have these experiences of being a victim, but they're not acting like victims. That when we experience setbacks, when we experience disappointments, when we experience suffering or persecution, we don't act like the victim, that, that when we are faithfully following Christ, when we're doing this discipleship thing of becoming like Jesus, it does not mean that everything will go smoothly. It does not mean that we're promised to be comforted. It does not mean that we're promised to be comfortable. It, does mean, it, it, it doesn't mean that, that, that everyone will love us all the time. It doesn't mean that everybody will appreciate us and our, our newfound life in Christ. It doesn't mean that we'll be rewarded for our faithful living. We can and we should expect opposition and even suffering when we're living a faithful life. But how do we respond in the midst of those disappointments, in the midst of that suffering? We can respond with a victim mentality, but that's not what we see Paul do. We see in Acts chapter 16 this vigorous life of worship and prayer. That even when they're in prison, when they've been beaten, can't you imagine them there? Their their feet are chained, their eyes are all bloodied up and, and black and blue and swollen. And what do they do? They worship. They worship and pray. They sing. That even in jail, they are affirming that they are free. That they are free in Christ. They are free because they worship the true God. that, That there is no civil power, no authority that is capable of making them captives. That when we live life in Christ, nothing can capture us. We are free, and free indeed. And so, what are the situations in your life where you feel like you're a captive? Places where you feel like things are not going the way you wanted them to. Things where, where there are disappointments, the doors have been closed. And you're sitting in this place not knowing where God is at, where God is leading. But we continue to take steps forward. Continuing to be faithful and obedient to the life that God has called us to continuing to live out his mission even when we're not clear on what the next steps are.